you know, sometimes some, some messages are just fun. And the, the, the most fun is at the start. So um, without further ado, let's start this. Uh, if you can, please, can you finish this phrase for me? The shortest distance between two points is a? A straight line, and it's in red, okay? So, you hang on to that truth. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Now, I want you to imagine that you have a lot of courage, okay? You're going to take a trip with me. And we, this trip started actually uh, last week sometime. So it's you and me, and or us and our spouses, we're taking this trip. And uh, the first thing we gotta do is we've gotta get to an airport. So we're going to drive to Billings to get on an airplane. And then we're going to head down to Las Vegas. Why are we going to Las Vegas? Well, I'm going to Las Vegas because the Pro Bowl is happening today. The NFC is going to fight the AFC in football game. And right now it looks like the AFC is supposed to win by at least a point. But I'm, I'm rooting for the NFC because that's where the Seahawks are at, uh, which we'll get to them as well. Um, but anyway, so we, we're, we're, we want to be there at 1 o'clock today to watch the Pro Bowl. And I know not everybody's excited about that, but by chance you are. Um, and then after the Pro Bowl today, we're going to go down to Dallas. And we're going to mourn. We're going to shed some tears with the Cowboy fans because their Cowboys did not win their playoff game. And after we shed our tears, we're going to hop back in our car. We're going to drive all the way to the, the West Coast. Do you know why we're going to go to the West Coast? To California? Exactly. The Super Bowl next week. It's the Bengals and the Rams are going to play. Uh, Scott's rooting for the Bengals. So I hope the Bengals win since the Cowboys didn't. <laughs> After the Super Bowl, after we, we enjoy the festivities of the Super Bowl, we're going to drive up the West Coast and see the Pacific Ocean and stick our feet in the water in, in the Oregon Coast because that's the best part of the coast is the Oregon Coast. There's even a place you can drive your car out on the beach, which I don't recommend. I've done it, but I don't re recommend it. But after we, we do that, we're going to go up to Seattle. You know what we're going to do in Seattle? We're going to laugh. <laughs> we're going to laugh at the Seahawks fans because their team didn't even have a winning record. And as we get to Seattle, we're going to go to Pike Street Market and we're going to eat some of the fish and see all the sights. And we're going to realize that, you know what? We are only six hours away from where Josh lives. You know, Josh is going to come home possibly like the long lost son, possibly like a hero. And we can see Josh's stomping grounds and where he grew up. And this is the church he was he grew up in. And, you know, it's past uh, past Davenport. Twelve hours is home, back to my own bed, back to my own home-cooked meal, back to my dog, back to my everything that I, I love. But instead of doing that, we don't go to Billings, we don't go to Davenport, we stay in Seattle. And we, we're and you know, this idea of having the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, it makes perfect sense to just continue your trip and go home. But in today's passage, we see that Paul and Barnabas get about this close to home and they do not go home. They say the shortest distance between two points, yes, is a straight line, but we are going homeward bound just a long way around. So here's a picture of your bulletin. It's just the blown up part with this little boomerang look, so it makes it a little bit easier to follow. And today we find that they are in... Uh, Derby, and look where Paul is from, Tarshish, and look where 
the, the freedom land is, the homeland is, is right there. And they, they are this close to getting home, but instead of going this way, they say, we are going to go back all the way through all of this to go home. And as they go home, they have two purpose, they have two priorities. They want to strengthen and encourage the brothers, and they also want to entrust new believers with positions in the church. They want the church to be established and to continue to survive. So priority one, going back the long way home, they say that we are going to strengthen and encourage the new believers. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 is where this is kind of taking place. Okay, so let me read verse 21. It says, They preached the good news in the city, and they won a large number of disciples, which is in Derby. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They're strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So their first goal is to strengthen the brothers, to strengthen, to make more firm. Now think about these new believers. They don't have a Bible in their hands. They don't have a radio station that they can turn to. They don't have much in the way of resources that they have to hold in order to uh, to know to check out what they are trying to remember. And Paul says, "I want to go back and I want to strengthen these people." They, they heard Paul speak in the synagogue. They got a lot of information, but if they're not writing it down, they don't have the tape recorder to record it. All they have is what is up here. And when Paul's coming back, I'm sure part of what he's doing is clarifying the information that they heard. They're, they're asking questions about what they've heard. You know, think about going to the doctors. Anybody ever go to the doctors and you're sitting right there and the doctor tells you everything and you think you understand it all, but as soon as you get in the car, you talk to your spouse and you say, okay, so now what was that? I don't remember this information and you feel like you, you want to go right back in and start the conversation over. I feel like Paul's probably going into that kind of situation. These people have heard the message of scripture, but they probably have questions. They probably have difficult concepts to deal with. And Paul says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work with these people. But in verse 25, it also says they preach the word in these places. So we say he's going to build on the information that he's already given them. So he's strengthening them. He's teaching them. But his other goal is also to encourage them to remain true to the faith. You, know, you think about what Paul has gone through on his missionary journey. Uh, he's gone through a lot. He's been through a lot of places. And you think about the new believers. They see Paul come in kind of like a, a hero. He's sitting in the synagogue. He gets the opportunity to speak in front of everybody. Everybody's interested in what he's saying. They're asking questions. And life is good. People are getting saved. But how does it end? Each time it doesn't end well for uh, Paul and Barnabas, they, they get the, the boot a lot quicker. They don't even get the to finish the meal at the potluck before they're they're heading for the door. In uh, this first place on their, their first trip, because they're coming this way, it says when they were in Pisidia, Antioch, while they're there, it says the Jews incited the God-fearing women uh, and those in the high standing, and they started the persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and so they were expelled from the city. They're, they're, they were there, things good, and all of a sudden, before you know it, Paul and Barnabas are kicked out of the city. A lot of questions for these new believers. They go to the next place. It says there was a plot of foot. People wanted to mistreat and to stone them. So that there's this 
Uh, they were feeling threatened. And so they left there rather abruptly in the middle of the night to get away from that. And in Lystra, Paul was stoned and he was left for dead. Now think about that. If you are a new believer and you're saying, wait a second, this guy just came in. We're hearing what he's saying and, and it all sounds good. I put my faith in Jesus, but then all of a sudden this guy that I led me to the Lord just left. And look why he's leaving. He just, he's getting expelled. He's getting threatened. He's getting stoned. All of a sudden, if I am one of these new Christians, I have a lot of questions. I don't know if this is what I was really thinking I was signing up for. And Paul, he, I'm sure he feels the pressure of what these people are feeling. Because in 2 Corinthians, you can read about the big list of the persecutions that Paul faced. And one of them he says he has concern for all these churches. And he's probably feeling the, the, the fear of these people wanting to walk away after they see that he just abruptly left. That he's experienced all these hardships. And so he wants to get back there. He wants to encourage these brothers. He wants to strengthen them because he wants them to keep going. And as he goes back through these places, he goes um, from here to here to here. He's going in a little bit differently. When he went in, he was the synagogue speaker. Everybody wanted to listen to him and life was good. Now he's going through uh, kind of like incognito, a lot more quiet in the, in the night coming in the back door and talking to these believers with the opportunity to try to encourage them and try to support them. And Paul is trying to inform these people that this life of persecution for following Jesus wasn't just something that he himself was going to have to deal with. It was something that they were going to have to deal with as well. Because he says in verse 22, he's strengthening them, he's encouraging them to remain true to the faith, saying, we, you and I, as believers, must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He's reminding this, I'm sure, I'm sure that this is not going to be an easy decision. This is something that we all have to enjoy, all have to suffer with, all have to go through if we are going to have our faith in Jesus. Paul wanted them to keep the faith, but he also wanted to remind them that their faith came with a cost. No doubt that's going to be a part of your life and mine as well. In one way, shape, or another, if we are a follower of Jesus, we are going to face persecution. We are not going to get through all of life. We're not going to be able to navigate through all the persecutions and trials of life and get to heaven without any scars, without any bruises without any pain. We're going to pay the price somewhere if we're going to follow Jesus. And we as, as believers, you know, I, I've been here for five years and four, three months uh, on Friday. For fun, I keep track of that. But for five years and three months, we've had lots of salvation messages. I've, I've never, I haven't led any of you to the Lord. I don't know if you all know the Lord. I, I, I take it at face value that you're here and that nobody's asking to be saved or asking questions. So I take it as face value that everybody here knows the Lord. If I'm wrong, please correct me. Okay, I'll be happy to, to share Jesus with you. But from what I know, everybody here knows the Lord. And that means you have at least five years and three months of Jesus under your belt. And so you are, you are no longer a rookie. Right? You're a rookie the first year, and then you are a veteran. And you are a veteran Christian. And so you, as a person who's gone through some of the trials of life, who have been under the scriptures, should be taking the opportunity to try to help somebody else. 
You know, share Jesus with them. And when they get saved, come alongside them to encourage them, to support them. Let them know that, yes, persecution and tough times are a part of life. It's going to come. This is no longer just about me getting through my Christian life. This is about me grabbing other people who need support and encouragement and trying to be that for them. So all you veteran Christians, this includes me, this is what we need to be doing is trying to encourage and strengthen other believers. You know, we need to remind them of what did they first hear about Jesus, right? Because if someone newly gets saved, they, they get excited, they get their Bible out and they, they start learning, but they go down the road. Sometimes when those tri trials and tribulations come, you need to remind them that, hey, that's a part of life. You need to remind them to take up their cross and do what God's asking them to do. You need to remind them that this is all worth it. It is worth it to keep walking with Jesus because in the end, what am I getting? I am getting heaven. And especially as a new believer, it's difficult to, to keep your eyes focused, to keep your eye on the prize, because there's all this trouble and persecution building up all around me. New believers have tough questions, right? We were talking about Job today, about why did God allow Satan to pick on Job so much that he lost everything, even his health. He kept his life. But why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? That's a good question from somebody who has no idea about the Bible, has no understanding of God, and they might bring those tough questions to you. You've got to be the person who's willing to do that. Let them know trials and temptations, persecution, sufferings are going to happen. You're the veteran. You've been through this before. Uh, you have the opportunity to encourage somebody younger in the faith. But also encourage them. Let them know it's important to put yourself under God's word. You find yourself in church on Sunday morning. You find yourself with your Bible before you go to bed or the first thing in the morning. Or you, you get that radio. And you turn it to the good preachers. Right? Dr. David Jeremiah. I'm always picking on him, but sometimes I got to say, you know what? He does a good job. Um, Alistair Begg, uh, Charles Swindoll, right? They've got to know that, that those resources are out there to listen to that and hear God's word from, from people like that. Read it on their own and, and make it their own faith. We need to encourage them and we need to let them know that persecution is going to come. But also these things apply to us as well. We need to be encouraged. We need to be putting ourselves under the, the, the scripture. We need to remind ourselves as well as them that persecution is going to come. And persecution can come a lot of different ways. Sure, you get the kid on the playground who gets pushed down by a bully because uh, he's trying to tell Jesus to somebody or share Jesus. You get the guy in the other country who gets beat up because of his follower, he's following Jesus. Yeah, persecution can show up as physical pain. Not interesting to me. I don't want that. But it might be a, a form of persecution that I'm called to bear. Mental anguish. Right? Not all persecution has to be physically harming. I could be under the stress and the fear of taking a stand and all the outcome of taking a stand of something for Jesus. A lot of stress, a lot of worry, a lot of concern about what other people are thinking. The, the talk that's going around and how that affects me, it bothers me. That's a form of persecution. Social rejection. You know, you ever been a person who is the outcast? Everybody seems to fit in and you don't, 
I've been there before and it's, it was a good thing, but I, you know, growing up in high school, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to have all the friends, but I somehow did not get invited to all the parties. Maybe it's because I wasn't cool, right? That, you can say, yes, Josh, that's your problem. It had nothing to do with Jesus. You're just not cool. But maybe it was because of Jesus that I did not get to go to those parties. And I know that kids in school face it. And it happens in workplaces. If you're a follower of Jesus, you sometimes are going to face that social outcast that because you're as a form of persecution. But it can even hit the pocketbooks. You know, you don't get the promotion. You don't get the raise. You, you lose the job all because you took a stand for Jesus. That's tough, right? And when you're going through life and you're like, I'm following Jesus and all this bad stuff is happening to me. I don't know if I'm that interested anymore. Think about the new believer. My life was completely fine. I had friends. I had money. I had a girlfriend. I had a car. I had everything. And then somehow that all went away when I found Jesus. I, I think I want to go back. Right, that, that kind of situation happens and we've got to encourage them that, hey, this is the road you want to take. But also we need to be reminded of that as well, that this is the road that's worth taking. But there are a lot of people and there are a lot of people who are running around today. Hey, I got saved at some point in my life, but that's it. You know, they don't uh, they don't put themselves in a position to hear from God's word. You know, whether it's in at a church or with the Bible or with David Jeremiah on the radio. So when they're going through life, they're making a lot of decisions because that's a part of life. But they're using their own wisdom to make those decisions. I'm talking to my friend. I'm saying, hey, you know what seems better at the time? But they're using their own wisdom to make the decisions. They, they aren't being reminded of what they've heard about Jesus because no one is around to remind them. There's people who aren't being able to ask those, those tough questions because they're not asking those questions because there's nobody there to answer them. There's people going through the trials and temptations in life as a new believer, but they, they don't realize that they can overcome those temptations. They don't realize that's a natural part of being a believer is to face those persecutions. And so there's, there's a lot of value in being the person who's willing to have conversations with people, being willing to get involved. It's easy to say the shortest distance between two points is the easy way home. It's easy to just lead them to the Lord, love them, and leave them, right? But that's not what Paul's doing. He's going back through the, line, the, the danger zone to all these places to, where potentially he could face all this persecution because it's worth it to, to tell people, that, hey, this persecution, you, you, just, you need this encouragement. It's all a part of the Christian life. And we need to be reminded as well that it is normal. We don't like it, but it's normal. Paul wrote the word to, second, to Timothy. If you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you are going to be persecuted. I want, I, don't raise your hand, but ask yourself in your mind, when's the last time I was persecuted for the Lord? I didn't have, you didn't have to get beat up. You could have got left out. You could have got, you know, your, the promotion was yours. You, you know that uh, you deserve that. I mean, is there any, do you feel like, hey, life is peachy keen or is there any kind of side effect? Because if you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, there's going to be some form of persecution at some point that comes with it. Jesus even told his disciples, if the world hates you, which they hated Jesus, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you did everything the world did, it's going to accept you. Life is going to be good. You're going to go to the parties. You're going to have all the friends. You're going to get the promotion. You're going to have everything the world wants to give you if you're part of the world. 
But if, you, if you're following me, you're going to be hated. Remember the words I, gave, I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. It's not fun, but it's good to remember. And I hope that when the persecution comes, at some point in your life, you remember these words, that you are encouraged by the fact that you are doing the right thing and that you don't want to give up and take the easy way home. So priority one, Paul's goal was to strengthen and encourage the believers. Priority number two was that Paul wanted to entrust the new believers with responsibility because he wanted the church to continue. Acts 14, verse 23, says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Paul and Barnabas were going through, they're teaching the people, they're, they're deciding, hey, this person is qualified to be in this position. And because he, for two reasons, I think, why he's doing this, is because he doesn't, he, life is short. Paul is, it knows that life ends quickly. Uh, he even tells Timothy, uh, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He talks about uh, getting people in positions because, let me just read it, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 5 through 6, he, he's trying to encourage Timothy to kind of do the same thing, to keep replacing yourself because at some point you're not going to be around to do all the things. He says, but keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He's like, hey, we got to keep this ministry going. This is not about you, Timothy. This is not about me and what we are getting accomplished. We've got to do set this up so this is a continuous thing that people keep the church going. But also, Paul and Barnabas are missionaries. They're not going to be at every location all the time. They're, they're, they're going to go back, and in a couple weeks, they're going on a second missionary journey, and they're going to visit some of these places, but they're not there permanently. They've got to put somebody else there in that position to keep that church going. And right now, they're, they're putting elders in place uh, to care, take care of the church, especially with spiritual issues. Now, our deacon board... Uh, Todd and Darren and Steve would, would make up what would, you would have for an elder board. That's what, what they would be, he would be putting people in places. They would be our elders. We call them deacons, but we, that's what they would be in this kind of situation. It's taking care of the spiritual um, jobs of the church, right? And making sure that those things are, are worked out in line with God's word. Uh, but here's what an elder is supposed to look like. Now, this list isn't to say, boy, our deacons are not doing this job, or they are doing this job. This is something that we all should be striving to do. We should all be this, this kind of character. But this is just the quality that Paul wrote about to Timothy and to Titus to say, these are the kinds of people that you should appoint. It says an elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife. Obviously, that's just a man thing. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Paul's got a standard for these people. Uh, it says, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. These are the kinds of men, a few good men that Paul's looking for in these churches to appoint as leaders of that church. 
because he's, he's got to put it in good hands. He's not going to be around. He's got to put it in place so that it's something that keeps going. And I'll tell you, it's, it's important to put the right people in the right places. Uh, there was... And it, you don't, we don't just take anybody. You don't stick the best of the people in the church and say that's good enough. I worked, I, I've, I've told you this before, but I worked at a place called Lexington in Spokane. I was a laborer. I was the grunt, the grunt work of uh, construction. And I was that close to committing murder. And I am not even kidding. Um, uh, we were up on a second, well, maybe, maybe not quite to the extent of murder, but it could have been. Uh, we we're up on a two-story building deck, the, the, the main office as we were building this thing. And I, there was a guy, my boss, who had razzed me for months. And I was, I was so flustered, I was worthless uh, because he just was that much pressure. And I was to the point of on that deck of just pushing him off. His wife was down there and the boss was down there and I did not care. I, I had to quit as a, or I was going to kill him. But, that's, but this guy wasn't just an unbeliever out there that I was putting up with. This guy was a deacon of a church. He had the language of a sailor. He had the, the moral character of, of a non-believer. I mean, I was, uh, I was with him when he was, off the, he was on the clock doing his own thing, acting like he was doing a, a work thing. And I'm like, wait a second. So when I had my exit interview, I like gave it all. I don't know if the guy kept his job, but I'm like, I don't know what you, you think you hired, but here is all these things. But this was a deacon of a church. Totally did not fit this whatsoever. So you don't just take anybody and say, wow, this is the best that we have and put him there. You put people that are qualified. And so Paul's got a big task on his shoulders to find the right people to put in the right places. You know, our church... We have a lot of people in the church today, and we have a lot of positions that our church fills. And this probably isn't all of them. I, I just quickly came up with a list of people. We have deacons and Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, and you can see a list up there of people who are asked to do things to make a church function. It's not a one-man show. You know, I, I think about... Um, if I, was, if I was to die today, you know, I, Steve could get up here and he could do some messages, right? If I, the, the um, like, even like today, he's filling in for me at the nursing home. It's not going to stop. Um, Awana would keep going. There's enough people in enough places to keep it going. But at some point, they're going to have to be replaced. At some point, Darren's not going to be a, a deacon anymore. He's going to grow. He's going to... Gets old, he, he can't do it, or I don't know, I'm not trying to insult you, but um, at some point, he's not going to be capable of doing that. Some point, somebody's got to fill Darren's shoes, and Steve's shoes, and the Awana Commander's shoes, and the Missions Committee, right? All these things are not like you get this position and you do it forever, because things come up and you can't do them. So we always got to be replacing people to keep this church going, and this church is 104 years old. Something like that. So this church has done this well because you don't keep anybody in a position for 100 years, right? You just keep it going. But we've, we've done that, but we've, we've got to be able to replace people, but we've got to be willing to retake those positions as well. Somebody's got to be able to step up or be willing to step up in order to make these things happen. You know, because even with this list, we have some people that are filling multiple positions, 
And that, that's great, and I love it, and they're faithful to their positions. But at some point, if you lose them, you're losing two positions. And so we've got to be a church that's continually making disciples, a church that continually replaces people in order to keep the ministry going. Because it's not just about 2022. It's about 2023 and 2030 and 2050 if we're still here to keep this church going for the next generation. <clears throat> so you know... The, the saying that we, we've already looked at, that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So I want you to think about that. Today when you go home and you watch the, the Pro Bowl, you watch the NFC destroy the AFC, think about that. When you're watching the, the Bengals beat the Rams next week at the Super Bowl, or you watch the commercials, right? I, I want to put this in your mind to remember that, you know what, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But it's not always the best choice to take. The easy route is not always the easiest, the best thing to do. Sometimes God wants you to go back. You led that person to the Lord. Sometimes he wants you to go have that difficult conversation. He wants you to go get in somebody's life and encourage them and support them. Yes, that takes time out of my schedule. That takes a relationship I really didn't think I needed or I didn't want. But Paul, he, he did it well. He went through the whole battle of leading people to the Lord, but he didn't love them and leave them. He says, I'm going to hang on to these people. I'm going to, as I can. You know, in today's world, he'd have the cell phone out every day, calling and texting people. Or he'd be online, or he'd be Zoom calling people. But he couldn't do that then, so he did the next best thing. He went and visited them in person. So if you know people, young believers in the faith, I want to encourage you to get on their side, to get on their team, to try to encourage and support them through their journeys of life. Become that person that they want to come and talk to, to have those tough conversations with. But also, uh, encourage them to, to be a part of a church, to be part of a ministry. But then, the same thing for you, and the same thing for me. We need to be putting ourselves in a position to hear from God's Word. Yeah, you come to church, you listen to the corny preacher, but you've got a Bible, you've got it online, and you say, whatever it takes, I'm going to hear from God, and I'm going to put it into practice, but also be one of those people who says, I'm willing to be a part of it. Yeah, when they come knocking on my door, or when I see a need, I want to volunteer to be a part of that. Uh, because, it, like I said, it's not all about today. It's about tomorrow as well, and the next 100 years, if the Lord tarries and coming, that we can have a church still going. So just remember, during the Super Bowl, during the Pro Bowl, during any time you're in math and you see two dots in a straight line, remember, the easiest route isn't always the best route. Take the difficult route, get involved in people's lives, and be that witness for them that Paul was uh, for the new believers in the new churches. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I do, I thank you for Paul and Barnabas. I thank you for their love for these people, that they didn't take the easy route home, that they were willing to go back through all the difficult stops to encourage these believers who were probably scared to death about what was coming down the road for them. They needed that encouragement. God, you know the people in our lives who need encouragement. You know the people in our lives that need support. They need us to come alongside them to encourage them in their walk with you. And I just pray that we would be willing to do that. Uh, I just pray that, God, as we as a church uh, have been around for 104 or 5 years, something like that, God, I just pray that we could be around as long as you tarry and come, God, that we could be a church that's continuing to have a wana, to continue to have Sunday services, to continue to have people go to the nursing home to serve. Let us be a church that is faithful to the end. We just pray for your help to be that church. In Jesus' name, amen.